Good morning, everyone. Her mom, so that's good. She's with her mom. But, uh, well, I feel like we've been gone a long time. Do you? Yeah, so uh, we went through the Christmas season, which is uh, crazy and uh, busy. And then I don't know about you, but man, I got hit with what I'm calling the, the 24, the COVID 24 or whatever. I go, man, it, I kept going. I got the 19. And he was like, you don't have the 19. I go, okay, then I have the 20. Welcome to Bible study. I am obviously not in Arizona. I am stuck in a blizzard um, in Iowa. We've got about 12 inches here. And so far, it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Uh, my name is Taylor. I'm Shannon's assistant. And I'm so excited that you have decided to join us for Bible study today. I uh, just have a couple of announcements. One, remember that Shannon is back to her regular schedule this week. She has Bible study this morning. She'll have another one tonight. Uh, she'll have Wednesday morning at North Hills Church in Phoenix. And then she also has her high school Bible study on Wednesday nights at a private residence. Um, so feel free to share that with uh, someone that you may know who may be interested check out her Instagram and her Facebook, share that with your friends. Second, on January 25th, Shannon will be speaking in Queen Creek at 6 p.m. Uh, she'll be speaking at Inspire, which is a conference that is hosted by um, Aspire and a couple other production companies, and they're hoping to have a great turnout for high school girls. Shannon will be touching on um, anxiety and just dealing with high school and the pressures that come with that. So if you know any girls who are interested, you can sign up. There's a link in Shannon's bio. And there's also a link to sign up on the website. You'll have to email Rachel Brandon, who is the uh, founder of the Brandon House, who is sponsoring the event. I hope that you all have a wonderful week. Thank you for being here. Um, remember to stick around for coffee. If you know any mamas who need um, some some time in the word, uh, please pass on that we have free childcare on Tuesday and Wednesday mornings. I hope you have a wonderful week. I can't wait to come back to hopefully a little bit uh, warmer weather than it is here. God bless you all. She called me yesterday and she goes, yep, I'm not getting back. And I'm like, where are you? What's going on? She goes, I'm stuck in a blizzard with a sick baby. And I go, ooh, I know. So, and pregnant. Yes. But she has before because, uh, but when I tell you I got hit, I got hit. I was down for six days. I know. I had a fever, the whole deal. It was awful. And I don't know about you, but then when you get struck physically, then all the monsters come in for me. And so, isn't it amazing how our physical and mental are so tied together? Oh, when we're down. So I was listening to her say, I'm the 25th, I'm going to go teach about anxiety. <laughs> I just got anxious thinking about teaching about anxiety <laughs> because uh, I've been dealing with it for the past uh, week and a half. And sometimes it just makes no sense, right? It's just all of this uh, emotion that's coming out that you have to sit down and figure out what exactly is it? Is there any logic behind it? What's happening? And then, you know, address it with who God is. So it's, uh, it's a hard thing. But so I got nothing really accomplished much, uh, which I hate that because or is anyone like me to where if you can stay busy, you kind of get out of that junk? Right. And so I know I'm Mary, Martha, whatever. I'm, I'm all of the above. But so I got, I felt like I got nothing accomplished. <laughs> the two days I was healthy, I decided to shiplap a wall. <laughs> That's what happens. I'm a psycho to live with. Y'all should really pray for my husband. So, but he got sick too. So we binged uh, several seasons of stuff. There's not much out there. 
I think I've watched it all in about six days. We we watched everything from Only Murders in the Building, which is just, you know, fun little <laughs> humor and crime to some sci-fi junk that I'm like, wow, that was dark. <laughs> Maybe that's why I got dark, <laughs> because I'm in there watching that. But anyway, it's a new year, right? And uh, if you were at church with me this weekend, we talked about a pretty good word, consistency. I just thought that was rude that he started off with that, but whatever. Um, and so how about we show a little of that for Tuesday morning, right? Because it's hard. I will tell you this, just being away for three or four weeks, how do we even know where we've been? Like, I can't even remember what I did yesterday, and we've been gone for a while. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by reading some of the scripture. I'm literally just going to read through some of my notes just to get us kind of back on the same page. And then somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit's going to take over. and We're just going to get back on track and continue through. Is that a deal? Because how many of you don't remember right now kind of where we've been and uh y'all got to help me out remember we're going to be consistently getting our face in the book i'm only an aid to you you do realize this right i tell you all the time if you do not study for yourself you are living on regurgitated food i don't know about you but i like to chew my own and the thing is I only give you just the basics of a lot of things. There are elements in here that you could go to lunch and you could literally talk about these things together for quite some time. I was doing that on the way here actually this morning, just about our world and certain topics that came up in Bible study with a friend. And we came to no conclusions to be quite honest, but it was sitting there meditating and thinking and chewing over the scripture. And it makes it real because it is real. It is real. This is real. And they're living out the kingdom of God in real time right here on the pages. And we're a part of it. So let's pray. And I'm going to read the scripture and I'm going to read through some of my notes. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that we are back to our rhythm. God, may we stay consistent in this rhythm. Um, Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet. We aren't really given clarity down the road. We're given clarity for each step. We have to be prepared for each step, which means that we need to literally lean into the Spirit. We need to listen into the heavenly realm and how you want us to uh, live out this world. Um, and so, God, I pray that you would guide us, that you would uh, have us fall in love with your word that it would be a staple for us every day. And God, I pray that you would uh, use me and weakness, fill me with your spirit to be able to talk and discern through ancient truths and applicable truths to today. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start reading. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5 because we, uh, we stopped somewhere towards the end of five, and so I'm going to get us back in momentum. Acts chapter five, verse 12, I'm going to start. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, 
And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with clean spirits, and they were all healed. Let me read you some notes from that section. Peter and the others continued to meet in the certain porch in the temple. Remember, the temple was not a certain building. We're talking about a dozen acres. Um, And so it was this entire area of the city. So the apostles had taken up the habit of worshiping in the temple and then sticking around in one of the porches where they would teach and heal. The crowds were coming to them just like they had come to Jesus. The foundation of their faith, the temple, had literally come to life in Jesus. I wrote, I cannot imagine how they listened to the scriptures and how all of this came alive. I could ponder all day about what that was like and the things that opened up for them. Because when you see something, you can't unsee it. They would gather and teach the people. I'm sure along the same times as along the same lines as Peter's sermon, using the Old Testament scriptures to show who Jesus is, um, what is found in him, how he was dead and now he lives, how he is now seated on the throne. This was bold. This was in the face of the religious authorities. And there was concern because you remember it says that many did not join them, but they what? They highly respected them, but they didn't join them because this was a dangerous situation. This was in the face of the religious leaders. Remember, they've already been asked to stop once because they've already been arrested. So preaching like this has already been outlawed and they're doing it anyway. It wasn't just teaching. It was incredible healing. There was power behind their words. As they would depart the temple, people would bring their sick so that Peter's shadow could cross them and heal them. Can you imagine? God's power going out and doing a new thing, the work of new creation within the context of the original creation. Remember how I told you that if I could make a movie of this, what it would look like? You don't remember. I could tell. How as they come out, right? Everything would be in black and white. And as they come out, this preaching and this healing, it's like things start to come into color and things start to come to life. That is what has happened. I cannot help but see the tabernacle as a part of this. Remember, The Spirit of God has now left a building uh, made by man's hands and has entered into human beings as the temple of God. And they are preaching that and they are going out. And when they do, we're seeing new life spring. In a sense, God has been let out of the box And we're going to talk about that even more. In this tabernacle, do you remember it was designed to what? Move with the people. 
It led them through the wilderness. It was the center of their lives. It was everything to them. And now we see it becoming the the body of Christ that we are the temple. Jesus was the temple, the place where heaven and earth overlapped. And now, like Joel said, they He has poured out his spirit on all mankind. And we are watching the stone, right? The the cornerstone, Jesus, the stone grow into a church. And it, like the, like Daniel chapter two says, that little stone becomes a mountain that fills up the whole church. It's a movement that is happening. It is a kingdom, new creation that is happening within the original creation. The kingdom of God has come and we're watching it take place. And I love the beauty that even his shadow created new life. And so we're seeing this scene. The apostles are learning, seeing, experiencing all of this progressive revelation. They are teaching it in real time. This healing power shows the beginning of something new. Yet the holiness and awe of God in the church at the beginning, there's a juxtaposition. You have all this new life, but remember what we also had. We also had the striking down of who? Ananias and Sapphira. So the holiness and awe of God in the church at the beginning as God strikes down Ananias and Sapphira to stop a bad seed from germinating. But yet here you see Peter move through the streets and life coming back and blooming. We see a glimpse of the great restoration to come as the kingdom begins. And the resurrection that they're preaching shows that God has the power to do so. Do you remember how at the end of uh, last year we talked about the four miracles in a row? Yes, from Mark. Did any of you go back and read them? The storm, the demoniac. Does this sound familiar to you? Yes, the storm, the demoniac, Jairus' daughter, and the hemorrhaging woman. Do you remember that? And I talked about what Jesus had been showing all along. The preaching of this resurrection shows that he is who he says and what he has the power to do, to bring new life. And so when you look at those four together, the storm, it shows that he is the God over everything natural, over all creation. That when it comes to a storm on the outside, he can calm it. He's the boss. He who names is boss. He is the creator of the known world. He is God over everything natural. And then we see the demoniac. He is the God over everything, what? Supernatural. Over all the demonic. Remember, he is going to recreate this earth. And so he's showing his dominion over it. And remember, he is going to destroy our enemy. And so guess what? He is showing he has dominion over the supernatural when he casts out the demons into the pigs and they go into the abyss, into hell where they belong. That is the picture. He is the God of everything natural. He is the God of everything supernatural. He can calm a storm on the outside and he can calm a storm on the inside. And when he reaches the shore of Galilee, Jairus is there, remember, with his daughter. And that shows us, right? Well, it's eventually going to show us that he is the resurrection and the life. 
But in the meantime, he's interrupted by the hemorrhaging woman who's been bleeding, right? He in turn is going to bleed for us. So that bleeding stops. He is going to stop this death by giving his own because he is the resurrection and the life. These four miracles show who he is. And we're watching this new creation begin to play out in real time. And they're understanding this and they're preaching his resurrection and they're preaching the kingdom. And not only are they preaching it with words, but what we are watching the power of the spirit happen and this new birth happening in real time. Marvelous. But for those holding power in the current age, all this is alarming. The temple was the home of God's presence, the place of healing and instruction. And now this is being dispersed in a way to all. This is happening outside the temple proper, outside of their control. How do they like that? You see, for those that are in charge in the current kingdom, those in power, when this gets turned upside down and the spirit of God is let out of the box and we see the kingdom of God proceeding through the nations, that little stone that's growing into a mountain that fills the earth, how do they like it? They don't because they controlled the box. And now they find themselves on the outside of what is happening. They don't like it. Remember, this is not a formula for healing. It was the start of something new, new life beginning, spreading from Judaism or the temple to the nations. We have no idea the plans and methods of God. Why don't we see this again? Why don't we see preachers walking out of church and healings in their shadows? I don't know. Maybe we do in other worlds, in other, other countries. I think it's still possible, right? But it's not a formula for healing. This is the beginning of something new. It was new life uh, taking place. We, we don't know why things happen the way they do. Why is Peter released and later James is going to be killed? We don't know. N.T. Wright says, in the apostles' age, they seem simply to have accepted that God can do whatever he pleases and that when people pray and trust him, he will often do much more than people imagine, while accepting also that frequently things don't work out as we would like, that people still get sick and die. Nobody imagined that these healings made them immortal, and they... And that many sad, tragic things would continue to happen, which have no particular explanation. This new life didn't mean there would not be tribulation, that there would not be sickness and death. No, it showed that the kingdom of God had been set free and that new life was now available, but we still live in this broken world. And so they were going to have suffering. Matter of fact, it was promised, was it not? If you follow me, you will also experience a cross. You will have to die to the flesh, which means we have to live by the Spirit. This burst of teaching and healing power came out of Jerusalem was the birth of something new. The power of the living God becoming concrete, undeniable, and real right in the middle of a dangerous world. Keep reading. Verse 17. 
But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. I bet they did. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Ooh, I have so much to say about that. Okay. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Oh, snap. I love the fact, and I told you last time, I love the fact that the angel tells them to go preach the words of this life. And I told you that for the longest time, nobody knew what it, what did to call what to call this movement? They called it the way, right? We don't even see them called uh, Christians till much later uh, in the scripture. But here he calls it, and, and later they're called Christians, which literally means Messiah people. I love that. But he says words of this life. Go and take your stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The apostles and such were living in a whole new way, this way of life. Nobody had ever seen this before or even thought about it before. How were they living life? Tell me. What was their life like? What? Humble. But do you remember the things they devoted themselves to and what their life was like? And the key, the, uh, studying the apostles' teaching, right? But do you remember the word koinonia? that we talked about, it was a life of sharing. They lived as one family, one common purse. They were in Christ, they shared in Christ and they shared everything. Their whole life had been turned upside down. The way they viewed property, completely different, which meant the way they viewed the promised land, completely different. The way they viewed the temple, Right? They still went to the temple to worship and to hear the scripture, but so much more is happening now within homes, around tables, over the Lord's Supper. Their whole life had been transformed. They had a completely different community. 
But also, not just the day-to-day life, but this was a new life to come. Meaning that now, out of death would come what? Life. Go and speak to the people the words of this life. Proclaim, teach the gospel. But let me ask you something. What is the gospel? I ponder this a lot because we're going to go back in just a minute. We're going to look at something in Luke when it talks about that Jesus was preaching the gospel. What, What was the gospel? Because if Jesus is preaching the gospel, this is before his death and resurrection, right? They don't even realize, even his disciples really don't even realize back in the gospels what was coming. The fact that he was going to die for sin and bring, they, they didn't have full understanding of that. So what was he preaching? Well, it's called the gospel of the kingdom. And so he is teaching them, right, that he is the promised one to come that he is that anointed one sent from the father. He is the one that is coming to bring life and to make all things right, that he is bringing in a new kingdom. Never once did they ever think the gospel was that they were going to be forgiven of their sin and taken away to some mysterious heaven. No, it was about a kingdom. Now they thought it was going to be only a political kingdom right? But no, it was going to be a spiritual one. But one day that king would return to this earth and he would set all things right. And so now they are learning to live out that kingdom on this earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is part of picking up our cross Because we are living in that kingdom, which means we have to die to what we want if we die to ourselves, and we live in that kingdom way, which is completely upside down from what I typically want, right? So when they were released, they went right back to doing what they were doing. The council was assembled. They called for the prisoners. Not there. Can you imagine what they're thinking? And then they realize they are back in the temple and they are preaching. Who can stop this? I wrote, they look, uh, they took them, but not by force, it says. Okay, this is the second time they've been arrested. You realize this. We're going to look at that in a minute. First time they were arrested, right? They were brought in. They were told, you better stop this. We've made it illegal, so stop it. We're warning you. And then they go back out and teach, right? And then there's a massive healing and now uh, there's much bigger crowds and they're teaching. And they're teaching that Jesus is the Messiah and that the lead, they have killed their Messiah. They arrest them this time, put them in the slammer because they're going to deal with it the next day. Bam, they're missing. They're back in the temple preaching. Now they go to get them and it says that this time they did not take them by force because they were afraid of the people. I put, hmm, interesting. Now see, this is where your journaling, I think, would come in or great discussion. This is what it is to study God's word and to apply it, right? How interesting. I put, they are the ones who are in control, who can arrest you, 
beat the living crud out of you, de-synagogue you, de-temple you, get you fired from all of your jobs, change your life, and what? What do we learn about Jesus? They can kill you. But yet it says they didn't take these guys by force because they were afraid of the people. I find, I go, hmm, I find that so interesting because when you have power, it seems like you're the one with the power that you're in control. But if you have power, then your desire is to keep your power. So you control and control and control as much as you can. But what you don't want to do is over control because there might be a revolt and you might lose your power. That's something to think about, isn't it? Just to ponder in, in your own life and in our world today. And I often used to think about, think about David when he uh, killed the giant. I call that young man power, young man courage. Why? What did he have to lose? Nothing. He was a young shepherd boy who was used to, he had faith in God. He had amazing young faith and courage. He had seen God kill the lion and the bear, right? But to be quite honest, he didn't have much to lose. He heard that giant come out and talk some smack. And he goes, who's talking smack against the living God? I'll take him on. And he goes, later on, sometimes we didn't see such courage. Because later on, guess what? We got stuff and power, and responsibilities, and people depending on us. And then we end up in the middle where we're a little bit worried that that can be what? Taken away. And so we have to really think through. That, I think, you could really think about um, what motivates you. What are you afraid of? Will you step into that gap when God calls you, when everything is uh, threatened? And it also tells me there's power in the people. Isn't that amazing? Have you not said that over the past few years? Not to get political, but do we forget the power that the people have? But how do they keep us from exerting power? We're going to see it in a minute. Division. Division and also threat, threats and fears. Because really, what could they do? They put them in the slammer and they went to get them and they weren't there. They were right back in the temple. God has been let out of the box and they don't control it. And they don't like it at all. And by the way, they are we. We are the same. Okay, so analyze that. We don't like to be out of control. Let's just get this personal. When our kids are let out of the box and they don't do what we want them to do, I liked my kids from high school down. I really did. I did. They, were, they honestly were a joy. Sometimes I wanted to kill them, but for the most part, they were a joy. I did not have the issues of this until they were out of the box. And they would not do what I said, right? And I'm like, who are you people? I did not raise you this way, you know? And then I realized I did not have any control. 
And then I had to just really trust that I'd put enough in there that one day they would find that sense and use it, right? But we all like to have control. And we all like to have that comfort and that power. So we are these Pharisees also. And this is what it is to study the Bible. I don't study the Bible just to teach you. It wears me out. Because I put myself in each situation. And this is the fun of it. So be consistent and get your face in that book. Because this is, this is where it's at. Okay, so then I put, let's see. Yeah, there's power in the people. Okay, now, 27. Look, we're catching up. I think I already read it, but I'll just finish it. Okay. Oh, let's see. So 33 is where I left off. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. He asked the kids to step out of the room. <laughs> Y'all don't relate to that at all? When you're about to lose it, it's about to get real bad. And somebody with some sense says, you guys... Why don't y'all go out and play for just a minute? We need to have a conversation. You hash it out. For before these days, I don't even, Thetis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Eww. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, I just wanted to add that. All right. Wow. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your, with your teachings and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, right? And the answer was this, we must obey God rather than man. This is the key issue. Here is the key question of all of these encounters. Who is behind this, God or man? That's the key question. Who is behind this God, God or man? This is the basic issue. Where has this come from? This movement, this life, this way, where has it come from? This question was asked a lot earlier. Look at Luke 20. It's been the question all along. Let's go back in Luke's story.
Luke 20, 1 through 7. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, think about what that was, the gospel of the kingdom. He is ushering in a new kingdom. What is it like? He's been showing them. If you're sick, I will heal it. If you're hungry, I feed it. If you're dead, I what? I raise it. Who am I? I am all the I am statements. They all point back to uh, Yahweh, their God in the wilderness, leading them through. He has been telling them this, this gospel of the kingdom, this life that he is ushering in. He is the one who will come and make all things right. He's been preaching this. So he's preaching the gospel. The chief priests and scribes with the elders come up and they said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who is it that gave you this authority? Who sent you? Who are you? Where are you from? He answered them. Well, let me ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it. By the way, let's learn from Jesus. Don't always give the answer. Some of the best teachers answer a question with a question. And as your kids get older, I'm going to tell you that's the way to go. Which means you got to know your stuff in order to ask a good dang question. But that's the way they come to their own conclusions and they work it out. We have got to stop telling them what to think and teach them how to think because you're not going to be there. And so Jesus knew that. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Right? Because the bottom line is that it doesn't matter what you see, you refuse. You refuse. The key question. So he is saying, so if it is from God, if John is actually from God, if he's who he says he is, and he's the sent one, he is telling you that a kingdom is coming. So if John is from God, then the kingdom of God really was on the way. And if the kingdom of God really was on the way, why do you not believe it? Okay, well, if he's from man, if John just conjured up this whole thing one day and decided he'd live in the desert and wear fur with a leather belt and eat bugs and preach, if he conjured this up, then the bottom line is he's leading the people astray. So why aren't you doing something about that? In either way, are they serving God? Because if they're serving God and he's from God, then they should be on board. And if they're not serving God, if he's leading them the opposite way, what should they be doing? Shutting that down. But they didn't because what they're really serving is who? Themselves. So they answered, we don't know. Well, if you can't discern that, Neither will I tell you what authority I bring. Because the problem is, because they refused to see, they eventually could not see. Luke tells the parable next of what? 
Yep. Look at that. So who do you think he's talking to? Hold on. I'm, I went back. But let's look at it. So he says, so I'm not going to tell you. So then he tells a story. You got to love that. Do you ever have older people in your life that told you stories and you knew there was something? Like they're telling this story for a reason. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out, let, let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. But he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. This is what we're seeing happening, right? It's exactly what Jesus was talking about. And the question has always been, who is this from? Is this of God or is this of man? They couldn't act because their power actually made them weak. Everybody knew, uh, oh, if this movement was of God, a new kingdom was here and they had stopped nothing and they didn't have control over it because it wasn't operating according to the proper channels. <laughs> have you been in church ever for a really long time? Do we like change? Do we like when there's a new way or some new movement? Or do we like to stay always with our old traditions and our old proper channels? This is how we do things around here. So let's not be too hard on them. This is, a, this is major change. They have been the protectors of the sacred law. They have been protectors of the sacred temple. And God just got let out the box. And they're finding themselves on the outside. This is really hard. Everybody knew that God lived in the temple and worked through it to bring forgiveness and salvation to his people. They were the overseers of this temple. They preferred for God to stay in the box. Not only does it seem as God has been released from the box, but they can't put him back. Peter is preaching repentance. Can you imagine the insult? He is preaching to them about repentance. Honestly, the first question we must ask and answer is, who is Jesus? Who sent him? You have to ask yourself that. Not only can they not stop it, they aren't a part of it. They have become the enemies of God. Every, the question today is, who is Jesus? Who sent him? Who is he? That is the question. Isn't that what David did when he experienced every emotion in the world? Here's the key to anxiety. I do it on a daily basis. When you have all of this fear or anxiety or all of these things come up, right? Scary, fear, whatever it is. What do we, 
what do we tell ourselves? The question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? So when you start to, ima- to tell yourself who he is, then you know what? What he's capable of. He can be trusted. He is in charge. He is with you. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is close to the brokenhearted. He is all these things. But the question has to be answered first. Who is he really? And are you living in a way that you really believe that that is who he is? And so this is the question they're up against. When we're sold on that, the next question seems almost rhetorical. Remember what they asked in the first arrest? You guys decide. We're convinced we know who he is. So you guys tell us, are we to obey you or God? It was rhetorical in the first arrest. In the second arrest, they didn't ask. Did you notice that? He made a statement. Go back and look at this. Look at the progression this week. They didn't say, you tell us, is it right to obey God or man? No, they just, Peter just said, we must obey God rather than what? Man. The fact is we are convinced. We know where it's from. And because of that, we will obey God and not man. We're not even gonna ask you because you won't come to a conclusion because your pride has kept you from seeing your desire for power. Remember, they've become the beast. And then he says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. I love the fact that they say the God of our fathers. Do you remember what I taught you uh, a while back? Anytime you see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what should come to your mind? The covenant, the promises. That the promise that was passed down, that God has called these people and that through them, what? All nations would be blessed. That this was his covenant promise passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That he is a promise keeping God. Right here, what they are saying is we are not leading our people to some weird divination. We are actually the ones following the deepest traditions of our people, the covenants of God, and the promises are being fulfilled through Jesus because they go on to say that he is their leader and their savior. Think about that. The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's made a covenant with us that he will return and make all things right, that through the nation of Israel, all nations will be blessed. I am telling you, we're not leading them astray. We are leading them into that promise. And that promise is being fulfilled in Jesus because he is both leader and savior. What does that mean? that he is the leader to come. He was the first fruits of this new kingdom, that he has showed us the way. He has taught us about what this kingdom looks like, right? Blessed are what? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? 
comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be, he has taught us all about this upside down kingdom. He has showed us what it looks like. He is the first fruits of that kingdom. He is the Moses to come. He is the one that has led us out of the bondage of sin and slavery into a new promised land to come. He is with us. Not only that, not only is he the new Moses to come, the new leader, he is the perfect sacrifice. He is our savior. He died so that we might live. He was the payment for our sin. He is the death to the curse. He is all of this. And he came to provide new life. He proclaimed these things. He had signs showing his authority for everything he said. And even in the end, the entire world declared him innocent. And you killed him. And even now, he is offering what? repentance, even now. Did you notice that it says that he gives repentance in that scripture? Did you see it? Let me tell you what verse it is. Do you see it? Because I don't see it yet. 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Isn't that interesting? To give repentance. I thought repentance was something we do. It is, but I'm going to tell you, like many other things in the scripture, here is mystery. And if you want to fight about it, you can fight about it all day long. You can fight about predestination or free will and all of that till you're just crazy. The fact is, I truly believe this is mystery. Both things operating together in God's economy. A dead person can't make a choice. Dead is dead. And so it takes the spirit of God to quicken, to give us eyes to see, and we're, made, we're able to make choice. And so somehow repentance is a beautiful medley between God and man to where it is a gift from God. And yet in that we have a choice. It's the same situation as that the sovereign will of God does not do away with the responsibility of man. So tarry in there for a little while. It's deep waters. We are witnesses to these things, they said. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Do you understand what they just said? Okay, this is something you cannot stop. We are not leading the people away. We actually are leading them in the right way. You are in the wrong. You're missing it. Be very careful lest you find yourself an enemy of God. And even now, you may find repentance even now. But God has, we've seen it and it's been testified because we have the spirit. Because the spirit of God that's been released out of the holy of holies is now what? On us, which you have seen evident by what is happening. And which means if the spirit of God is with us, it's not with 
You. Now you think about these religious leaders. How do you think that went over? And these are Galileans. They didn't even go to seminary. What in the, they're enraged. You want to hear the beast roar? Ooh. Whatever it was, people have been killed for less. Their preaching was tearing down old traditions in the temple itself, and they were simple Galileans. They were enraged. The beast roared. But all of a sudden, Gamaliel calms the scene. He had the disciples put outside. Who is he? Okay, here's, a, here's some history for you, and it's actually very interesting. Gamaliel was one of the uh, greatest and most highly respected rabbis of the day. A man, it says in the Talmud, of exemplary devotion and piety, who knew the law, the law forwards and backwards, and he taught everyone who would sit at his feet, including the apostle Paul, which is very interesting. We're going to talk about that later. But at this time, okay, where did Gamaliel get his training? Well, at this time, there were two basic schools of thought, okay? There was what's called the Bet Shemay. So Shemay was a uh, scholar of old, and then the, his counterpart was Halil. Let me tell you about them. Shemay was typically very stringent and kind of short-tempered. Um, he tended to take the hard line politically as well, as in strict legal application. One had to be zealous to the law in all possible ways. And if that meant using violence towards those who broke it or questioned it, so be it. All right. He was toe the line. This is what should be. That's who he was, Shimei. The other school, and you're going to recognize that Gamaliel must have gone to this one, was the school of Hillel. He was, they say, the gentlest, kindest, and most patient of people. He was a Babylonian Jew, which meant that while all heck was breaking loose in Israel at the time, he was, pro he was part of the diaspora, the people that had been scattered. He was in Bab Babylon during that time, which typically was peaceful, and many great scholars came out of that area. The first time he came to, to Jerusalem, it says that he studied under two converts to Judaism. So he's had, he's had some life, right? But he's from the house of David. Um, until the time of Hillel, the leading scholars often had political and even military clout and believed it was their duty to exert it, taking on kings and governments. But Halil decided when he came into power, this wasn't good. Because how can you do that with a madman like Herod? If you take on Herod, there is going to be a bloodbath. So he withdrew from the fray. He said, in effect, it was the job of the sages to build the Jewish world from within. Herod and the Romans would not prevail in the long run anyway. This was his thought. Here's his quote, history exacts its own retribution. Evil will not stand forever. Eventually it will fall. So when I was sick, I watched that movie Oppenheimer. Okay. 
it made me think of this because do you remember what he said to Albert Einstein? He said, Albert, you remember when I came to you with the concern that we were going to set off a chain reaction that could possibly destroy the world. And then he looked at him. Now, this is after the whole thing. And he says, I think we might have. What does that mean? It means that while fighting, we created a bomb, a weapon that in return in the hands of man can come around and what? Kill us. And so his deal was, Halil felt, therefore, we need not confront it head on. We need not to destroy the Jewish people while trying to save the Jewish people. Which makes you think of many things in history that tells us, be careful how hard you look into the abyss, lest you become like the monster. It makes you go back to creation where God knew that we could not know good and evil because we don't have the ability of fully knowing evil without being drawn into it. It's this idea. And he then said, if Herod will afford us the freedom to develop our own unique Jewish spiritual life, then we need not oppose him openly. Halil had the love and respect of the people that Herod wanted, but he set up a parallel system of government that coexisted with Herod. So in general, the Academy of Shimei is thought to be stringent, where the Academy of Halil tends to be more lenient. Generally, the Academy of Shimei looks at the potential of what it should be, whereas the Academy of Halil looks at it as it is. Now, do you not see that we live in the middle of those two things today? Do you ever find yourself going back and forth? If you've ever been in Christian education, you live in the middle of that nonsense. Of setting rules and laws and this is what it should be and we have to stand up to this and this is what we're going to do. And so we are real strict with our rules and yet trying to save them, we what? We injure them. And then on this side, if we just say, well, let, let it play out over time, over time will tell, then we think, oh my gosh, we're being too lenient. And then over here, we're like, no, the people need to stand up. We need to draw the sword. We need to stand on the line. This is the right thing to do. We guard the law and we do it in our churches. And it's our job to guard theology. And this is correct doctrine. And then over time, we end up looking like, the enemy. Where's the love and the grace? And then over here, oh, well, just live and let live. It'll all work out in the end. And oh, free grace. I mean, it's a battle. Is it not? And this is the scene. But I'm going to tell you, God used this man, Gamaliel. He stepped up and he says what? I'm going to tell you. Time will tell. And by the way, it's really interesting because the two guys he he talks about who claimed to be the Messiah and then it all burned out. He kind of has them backwards, which is very interesting to me. But maybe that's the point. Maybe he got them backwards in chronology because he's like, well, I don't know. Don't you kind of remember these guys? Oh yeah, which one came first? I don't know. I don't remember. They didn't last that long, right? Because if it is a movement of man, what? It won't last if it is a movement by God, you won't stop it. 
Aren't you glad to know it's not up to us? It's not up to us. And now looking back over these thousands of years, what do we know it was? It's a movement of God. And so the key to me is what I prayed about at the beginning. Like I can prep all I want for the end of time or I can think, okay, put down the sword and then the next minute I'm drawing the sword and this is what it should be and this is what I do. And we're always trying to analyze what's going on. But here's the thing. The key is what we're going to see in the next thing is that when things come up, man, we commit ourselves to prayer and to God's word. And by doing that, the word of God is a lamp into our feet. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have enough weapons, bullets, uh, food, or whatever if things turn south. That's not the point. I need this prep right here. This is what we need. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens with us, but we're, we're on the winning team. This Bible, do you not love it? There's nothing new under the sun. It reminds us of who human beings are. We all tend to, to do the same things, to battle the same battles. And it, but it also reminds us what? Who God is. That he is faithful. He is faithful even when we're not. And it is a beautiful thing. We're going to see in the next chapter that uh, I think it was Skip uh, Heitzel, if you ever listen to him out of, uh, I think he's in New Mexico. Um, he said one time, I heard him say, when you turn the lights on, that's when the bugs come. It's so true. If you're from Arkansas, you know that. <laughs> um, as the word is being preached, and it is never neglected here, the attacks come, right? The first one was persecution of the church, and it did not work the church grew because they kept, you can't, you can't stop this, right? The other one we saw was corruption with Ananias and Sapphira, this whole cover-up thing. And God said, oh no, you don't. He revealed it and he shut it down. He did not let the bad seed even take root. He shut it down in that new growth situation. Do you want to know what the next thing we're going to see? which I love the fact that Luke is just honest and tells us exactly what is going on all the time because these are human beings. Division. Division within this family unit that is starting. And man, division and complaint. And man, if he can get this going, if the enemy can really get this going, maybe it will water down what is happening with the word if the community does not match the word. And we're gonna see what happens with that. So please read chapter, chapter six, because this is what are we seeing all over our world today? Division, if we can divide them, okay? So, ooh, isn't this good stuff? All right, are you interested? Are you reading your Bibles? Let's be What's the word? Consistent. All right. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word.
Lord, I pray that you will uh, put this in some kind of order for them to ponder and understand as they've just heard all of my thoughts about studying your word. God, may I be a woman of great faith knowing who you are. May I really sit in the question, who are you for real? Do I believe that? And if that is the case, then how should my life look? Who can stop the Lord God Almighty? So God, may I lean in. May I be prepared. May I always have oil in my lamp waiting for the return of the king. May I go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom that we are a part of. May I follow you in the way that you loved people and the way you helped and lived. I can only do that, God, if I'm leaning in to you and to that realm, living in the spirit and not in the flesh. And so, God, may we be consistent in this reality, not in this other matrix that we live in that's just not real. You are real. I love you. Use us as we go out in this world to be a light to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.